0: Hello, sports fans, and welcome to uh, Charlie and Jake's Hot Takes. It's our fourth episode, and we are excited and happy to welcome Joe Tipton of Tipton Edits Instagram account with over 122,000 followers. So, uh, Joe, can you tell us a little about a, a bit about your Instagram page and what you do?
1: Yeah, so my Instagram is basically um, based around high school basketball, um, college recruiting news, um, with a little bit of a spin on. Um, graphic design, and I mainly uh, interact with players when they want to narrow down their list of schools or uh, make a college commitment.
0: Okay, so um, when you, how did you get started with this? What, did you have any, like, inspirations, like other pages or anything? Like, what started Tipton Edits, really?
1: Yeah, so it, it started with, um, I was playing football at the time, and one of my friends had downloaded this simple photo editing app. And he had made something um, for me, and I asked him what app he had used, and he told me, and I downloaded it and started messing around with it. Um, And then I started uh, getting pretty good at downloading other apps. And um, I wanted to be able to make – I've always been a big basketball fan. I wanted to be able to make edits for players that would actually repost my my stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, NBA players, they're hard to reach. College was the same way um, at the time. Um, so then I narrowed it down to high school guys. So then I pretty much messaged everyone in the ESPN Top 100. I think it was during that time, I think it was the uh, class of 2015. So I've been doing this for a while. Wow. And um, I would just send them a, a message, send them a few examples of my work. Um, you know, they would let me know if they if they wanted something. And at first, it was just – it wasn't even basketball related. It was just like – Uh, a picture of them, you know, standing next to their car, you know, just posing for, you know, Instagram, something like that. And then over Mm -hmm. time, it was like, hey, you made edits for me in the past. I'm narrowed down, narrowing down my top list of schools. Could you make me a top five um, edit, you know, stuff like that. And then over time, uh, you know, started building traction. And one of the main things, um, you know, people always ask me, like, how did my account get so big, you know, stuff like that. And the main reason, main reasoning behind that is, I was the first page on Instagram to even make edits for high school guys. So mm-hmm. any other account, like when I got on, nobody else was doing it. So it was kind of um, uncharted waters, I guess you could say.
2: Who are some of the guys that you've done edits for and worked with? Like some of the top examples.
0: Like uh, For example, we know the guys you're doing with now, obviously. It's yeah. All everyone.
1: But yeah, it's like, like really the past guys? One. Yeah. Yeah, so um, Ben Simmons, uh, Brandon Ingram, Donovan Mitchell, Dennis Smith, Jr., um, Josh Jackson, Harry Giles, uh, Trayvon Duvall. Um, I have a whole list in my phone. It's like over 300 guys. Um, I I read your story about
2: Kevin Knox. I thought
1: that was awesome. Oh, yeah. If you want to tell all the viewers that one, I really like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the story about um, Kevin Knox was um, I think I had done his top eight schools, top ten, something like that, and it was about time for him to make his college commitment. Um, and I believe at the time his crystal ball was 90% or so Duke. Um, and he, he takes me one day and he was planning on committing the following day. And um, he said, could you make me a Kentucky and Duke one? And I was like, okay, sure. You know, I'd already looked at the crystal ball. You know, most people do trust the crystal ball when it comes down to where they, you know, where players are going to be going to college. And um, so I made both. And he had me tweak something on the Kentucky one. He had me change something on the Kentucky one, but then didn't have me change it on the Duke one. Then it was the dead giveaway that he was going to Kentucky. So that whole day I was thinking, I remember making the edit. I was in the library of my school, like sitting around a couple of my friends. I was like thinking to myself, like, imagine the the, the fan base that everyone thinks he's going to do. And then like I'm me and his family, are probably the only ones that know. I remember, like, thinking, like, this is insane because that was one of the – that's one of the few times that Crystal Ball's been wrong. Yeah. Um, and he didn't directly tell me it was Kentucky, but it was kind of, you know, obvious. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah so that was a shocking one. Yeah, that's a cool story.
0: So, like, at what point in your uh, career did it really go from, like, you hitting up players to them, like, messaging you and wanting the
1: edits? Um I didn't take long, really, because – um before i guess you could say in the most humble way before tipton edits there wasn't really um someone that did you know top schools commitment it's four guys when they wanted to announce their decision it was they would type it in their notes and their phone and screenshot it and post it to instagram or twitter um because i remember seeing that even after i had been on instagram for a while players would still do that because that's kind of what they did beforehand They there wasn't any logos or pictures or any type of graphics um but it didn't really take long because um you know, once some of the big-time players uh, would post it um, and tag me, of course, they would, you know, have teammates that they played, you know, you know uh, AAU with or even their school team, you know, they would see, you know, oh, this is the only guy you can go to to make you an edit. So it didn't take um, very long. And then uh, over time, high school basketball in general has gotten bigger and bigger with, you know, like media companies like, uh, you know, Overtime, Slam, Bleach Report, they've all gotten in, gotten into the high school space. When I first joined this, um, I remember in the class of 2016, Harry Giles was the number one ranked player. He only had 14,000 followers. Now there's freshmen in high school that are ranked 75th nationally that have that amount of followers with two mm-hmm. offers. And he was number one ranked with schools all over. So um, it's crazy to see how how much it's grown. Also,
2: I saw that it's not really just about edits, right? You kind of cover the whole high school game if you want to talk a little bit about that and how it's much more than just edits of players.
1: Right, right. Um, I'm glad you noticed that because um, it, it bugs me a little bit when people say, you know, like, "Where's the edit?" And I'm, I'm like thinking to myself, like, "Tits and edits." I need to change the name to something. I need to figure out something because it's not just edits anymore. It's 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 news. It's pretty much a you know a media site. I'll even you know, break news from time to time or, or release, uh, you know, a top um, player school list before even the media guys do, um, you know, on Twitter or something like that, or even Instagram, of course. Um, but but over time, I've realized that my passion isn't necessarily graphic design, you know, edits, anything like that. It's more of the news side. Um, it's yeah. more social media related. Um, so So since then, I've hired a bunch of graphic designers to do the majority of the dirty work for me and uh you know i'm kind of the ceo and you know not necessarily employees but people that uh you know like i said do the majority of the work for me um so it's kind of kind of turned into um you know a place where people can you know tune into my page to figure out when a player's announcing their decision what schools are they down to things like that Mm
0: -hmm. so um recently just before we get into our uh the next part of our discussion with you i just wanted to ask you about this so recently i saw that you posted about your uh, article on the athletic that they posted they wrote a nice article about you and um i mean the athletic is a great site i mean there are so many uh like very well well known writers who write for that it's a subscription website so what was your reaction when you got when they reached out and were interested in an article about you
1: well, to be honest with you, it's kind of embarrassing to say, but I had no clue what The Athletic was. <laughs> it might be because I uh, typically like to spend my money wisely, and I – like I'm a college kid. I, you know, I'm not rich. I don't want to spend $10 a month on a subscription. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I had no clue what it was, and a, a writer just messaged me on Twitter. He didn't even know about my Instagram, and uh, which I'm primarily uh, – on Twitter, I think I only have 13,000, um, so not not as known on Twitter, um, but he messaged me and said he was interested in doing an article for me, or doing an article uh, on me, and um, I had had a couple in the past, um, but I knew he was uh, definitely the biggest, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I you know I was uh, asking him questions like, how is it conducted? You know, is it over the phone? What is it? And he, and he said he was, you know, going to – be, uh coming down to see me and i was kind of like oh wow like it's kind of it's like that like because uh, he's in michigan and i'm in alabama which you can probably tell by my southern accent that i wish we didn't have <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so he came down uh we scheduled it up uh i think he came down last, last october stayed a few days um came over to my house had dinner dinner with my family um got to get to know me a little bit um let me tell uh, my story um it was great. It was an awesome experience. Yeah,
0: it was. It's. It was really interesting reading through this. Yeah, good article that you had on your Instagram. We. I don't think I don't have the subscription either, so I didn't get the full. Right. Thing. I know. I, Jake, know I know. It's unfortunate that it's
1: a paid. <laughs> it's a paid site.
0: Yeah. So um, now, just to, uh, I really want. I think me and Jake really both wanted to uh, talk to you about this in terms of the uh, the G League versus the NCA debate. I thought it was a really interesting to have you to talk about it because of the insight that you would have. Mm-hmm. given that you have a relationship with much of these players. So just to, for the people who don't know listening, um, over the last few weeks, Isaiah Todd, who was committed to Michigan, a five-star power forward, decommitted, and he decided to go to the G League along with five-star recruit Jalen Green, who's a shooting guard. These were both in the class of 2020. And um, Jalen Green hadn't made his decision yet. He made the G League as his commitment post, which uh, mm-hmm. obviously tipped and had it's posted. So um this is uh, obviously a major factor because this is where the players are getting paid. And um this is seems like a threat to the NCAA to the whole enterprise of NCAA basketball. So I'd love to uh hear what you think about these two this the choice of these two to go to the G League.
1: Well, I it definitely didn't shock me that they the G League raised the uh salary for certain prospects. Obviously Jalen Green getting um roughly five hundred thousand, mm. you know will definitely reach a million with endorsements. And Isaiah Todd rumored, I think, uh, three to four hundred, most most likely three hundred thousand. It definitely didn't shock me because it's it's uh, recently there's been talks of, um, you know, the NCAA needs to compensate these players somehow, whether it's just their name off their name, image and likeness. Um, You know, players are always, um, you know, talking about it. I'll make posts about you know, the NCAA getting closer to this decision, the players will always comment, you know, let us make money, you know, let us sell shout outs for $600 promoting this company's brand, you know, whatever it is. Uh And, um, you know, I knew it was only a matter of time before someone stepped up. I didn't know it was going to be the G league. Um, obviously we saw RJ Hampton go overseas, play in NBL, um, last season, um, mellow ball. He didn't really have the college opportunity. They didn't know if he was eligible or not, but, um, I think the NCAA is is shaking in their boots. They're getting very concerned. Um, I know there's only going to be a certain, uh, you know, tier, you know, a certain level of prospects that are going to be able to um, even get a certain amount of money, um, you know, in the G League. Um, Isaiah Todd, he's ranked, depending on where you look, you know, top 15 roughly. Um, And it was a drop down uh, of roughly 200,000 from Jalen Green. He's, you know, one or two on most recruiting sites, you know, if you're ranked 50th in the country, you're not going to get anywhere near that money. Um, so there's, there's always going to be some guys that go to college, um, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. because, you know, they're not going to um, accept the yeah. original, the original statement um, in October, 2018, I believe from the G league was, they were going to pay certain prospects, 125,000. And nobody bit at that nobody was interested until they surprised you Green agreement with 500 K. And he's like, let's do it. So um, over time, hopefully, they're gonna the G League gonna get certain ticket sales. You know, not many people really care about the G League in all, uh, you know, in all aspects. Um, but hopefully, Jalen Green will bring his fan base. People, you know, pay for ESPN Plus or whatever. They're gonna they're gonna put it out somewhere. Somebody's gonna watch Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd play for that G League team in Southern California. So hopefully, over time, um, the G League will kind of you know be able to build up the revenue and be able to pay more players to come play for them um and then it kind of leaves the NCAA like okay we got to do something now like we either have to eliminate the one and done rule which they're supposed to be doing hopefully by the 2022 draft or um I know they're edging closer to allowing them to make money off their name image and likeness but they still might be able to get more money playing that was here in the G League um but it'll be interesting to see
2: I think it's interesting I was reading an article last night and they were saying that the G League, I hate the NCA just as much as the next guy. And I think it, they treat the players horribly. But I think it's very interesting, though, because when you go to the G League and you don't go to the NCAA, you really forego a special experience, going to March Madness and playing with the team and building that bond. And I think you get to with those really good coaches, the Coach K's, the Coach Cows, the Roy Williams, and you really miss that. And I get the $500,000 in an exorbitant amount of money, but I think that the experience might help them even more. And I think that maybe it'll hurt their draft stock because you're not getting as much exposure in the G league, whether ESPN plus takes it or whoever takes it. It's not going to be like the NSA which is one of, which is watched by millions of people.
0: Yeah. I remember, um, oh, sorry, just a couple of years ago, um, Darius Basley, he was uh, committed to Syracuse. I remember he was their highest commit since Carmelo Anthony. And he ended up jumping from the G he ended up, originally was supposed to go to the g league i think he ended up uh actually interning for lebron at clutch sports over the year and he still got picked in the first round but most people thought that if he had played college ball or even played developmentally somewhere that it would have helped his draft stock a lot because when people are eyes are on you like you look at the um, for example last year i remember in march madness a guy like carson edwards who was maybe undrafted late second round pick and then he had an unbelievable March Madness performance, and that really propelled him into the late first round. So there's still benefits to playing college ball. But if you're a prospect who you know that the – especially for a guy like Jalen Green, for me, where his skill is undeniable, a lot of people think he'd be in the top five in this year's draft. So I
2: don't think it'll hurt him too much. Yeah, but you never know, though, because if he is as good as people say he is, and when I've watched him, he seems to be as good – But if a guy comes out and dominates in college and he dominates in the G League, I think the guy who dominates in college is going to have the benefit of the doubt. And I think number one overall, if he's that talented, is something really special. And I don't know if someone's going to want to pick someone number one overall who they haven't seen so much and doesn't have that exposure. So um,
0: it's just interesting also, I know a lot of recently McCurr Maker declared for the NBA draft, Kareem Main as well. So it just seems like, it, since you started doing this, I'm just wondering, how many, how, how, has it been really interesting for you to see how how many players are now choosing different routes and kind of like the evolution of a prospect?
1: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, because it, it's such a recent um, trend. Um, you know, not many, not many guys. Uh, you know, chose overseas. Obviously, G League is completely new. Jalen Green was the first. You know, high school prospect to go straight to the G League. Um, mm-hmm. And I think RJ Hampton was, um, you know, of course, there's been guys in the past, Emmanuel Moutier, um, but RJ Hampton was one of the the newer guys to kind of start this trend, um, you know, choosing the NBL over college. And at the time, there was very very quiet rumors that RJ Hampton would be um, possibly considering overseas, um, uh, because I think he he even worded it um, towards the end of his um you know college res- recruiting cycle he he left out the word commitment he did kind of what jalen green did he said announcement or decision something along those lines so i had a gut feeling with rj um going into it because everyone else says commitment they don't say announcement you know what i'm saying so it was, it was kind of like hmm I wonder what he's doing and then the night before rj texts me and he was like i need you to you, i need you to do something on the low for me and it was uh you know me making a you know new zealand breakers edit for him um that mm. he announced the following day so that was crazy that um you know shook up everything um you know and then this year with Jalen green most people uh towards the end you know everybody started started putting in their crystal balls it was a hundred percent pro by the time he, he made his decision it wasn't much of a secret um that mm-hmm. he was going to be going pro but it's definitely been an interesting evolution and uh um I don't think it's – I think it's going to increase. I don't think it's going to yield unless the NCAA does something drastic.
2: Well, that's what I think the good thing that might come from it, and I think it's funny that you said that. I think the NCAA is going to have to change because it only is going to get worse for the NCAA, and Jalen Green's a guy that probably cost the NCAA a million dollars by him not being mm -hmm. there. That's a lot of viewers. He would have been a great guy to have. So I think it's very interesting. And I think now they're going to f- hopefully they get forced to change and at least let players make money off their likeness or change some sort of the rule to get the NCAA back. Because back in those days with the Patrick Ewings and the Michael Jordans, that's when college basketball was great. And I really wish we could get back to that or some sort of that. So hopefully the NCAA can do that for us. Yeah, it's so interesting to me just because I
0: follow through a lot of players when, they, when they're when they making their draft decisions whether they, whether to go into the league or to stay back. And play another year at college, and I always—it's almost feels like the the way that they'll break it is that they'll uh, get a get an account on like Cameo.com just to make some money. You know, I mean, I don't think it's a crazy idea for players if they they might rat. I think a lot of players really value the college experience. I mean, like especially playing for those coaches like Jake was talking about, Coach K, Coach John Calipari, Roy Williams. Those are amazing coaches that you learn so much from, and just the experience of being in college are the biggest men on campus. You know, everybody everybody's so interested and wants and wants to see you succeed. So that that experience is so much that if even if it's not as much money as the G League, I still think that players making uh, money off their image and likeness would be huge for the NCAA. And I'd like to hear
2: what you think of that.
1: Oh, definitely, I completely agree. Um, one thing that came to my mind while you were saying that was. Um, I think another one of the selling points for players considering the pro route instead of the college route is limited distractions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to go to class. You don't have the temptation to go into, you know, a college party, you know, limited um, distractions from girls as well. Um, you know, and when you're, when you're a pro, especially Archer Hampton living in Australia, I mean, he doesn't know anyone there. Like all he, all he knows is Fortnite and, and in the gym. Yeah. Like, uh, You know, so he didn't have to worry about, you know, getting that test done, going to class at 8 a.m., anything like that. Um, In the same way with the G League, even they set it up for Jalen Green. He's not even going to be playing the full G League season. He's only going to be playing a handful of games, like somewhere between 8 and 12, um, still with that same, you know, amount of money. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the the biggest things is um, players now, they don't necessarily care about the education it's the money it's how quickly can I get the money and it also comes down to um you know their family's influence as well like is their is their family well off um you know do they do does their family need the money now um you know that could that could definitely uh, affect the decision as well
2: yeah.
0: yeah so um I just wanted to read a couple of tweets uh, actually a quote and a tweet from two prominent college basketball coaches so uh this was These were last week right after the decision was made by Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd. Okay. So uh, Mick Cronin was quoted saying, college basketball will always be popular. I believe players should be able to go in the draft out of high school. College basketball and our brand will always be the best way for a player to showcase himself and develop in the United States. But college isn't for everyone, and that's okay. I thought that was a really interesting quote. And that one was more kind of like, this is not for everybody, but I still kind of support it because I'm looking for the best route of players. So I like that quote. But then Chris Mack tweeted out, I think he was a little frustrated at the uh, reporting <laughs> that was, was going out that day. He said, for every Jalen Green, there's an Obi Toppin. For every none and done, there's a Luke Garza, a Marcus Howard. College basketball we will be fine. Nice article, though, guys. Next. <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell. I mean, I'm not a behavioral psychologist and I don't want to read too much into the words that Chris Mack said, but he, he, by putting that out, I think he's a little bit frustrated and maybe a little bit worried because if the best prospects are going pro, then the second best prospects are going to go up. You know, they might go to the Dukes and the Kentuckys. And then where does that leave? I mean, Louisville's, I would say, is kind of on like the blue bo- blue blood borderline, if right. you will. But, I mean, I think
2: it's just – it'll have a big effect on every single coach. Okay. Well, now that you talked about the Blue Bloods, I think we should get into the new debate that people are having about the Blue Bo- blue Bloods versus the mid-majors and even, the, like, the second level of schools and a lot of guys wanting to go there instead of the Dukes and the Kentuckys, and I think that's very interesting. Memphis has been – I think it got James Weissman, so I think that's really interesting to talk about. Well, you, you have – yeah. go ahead. Sorry.
1: Okay. Um, specifically Memphis' class last year, um, you know, obviously not playing in the high major conference, um, you know, the most, and then they still finished with the number one ranked recruiting class. You know, they missed out heavily this year. They haven't landed anyone, um, you know, besides transfers, of course. And the most attractive thing for Memphis is, is the coaching, the coaching staff, obviously, Penny Hardaway, Mike Miller, um, you know, guys like that, um, you know, another top 50 guy in twenty twenty. Um, Cliff, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'll, I'll murder it. Uh, oh, right my God. Yeah, yeah. Something, something to the effect of that. But um, he decided to stay home and go to Rutgers over. He had an offer from Kentucky, Auburn, um, UConn, um, a couple others. Arizona State, that was the favorite. Um, you know, and I think, I think players, you know, this past season, I think players saw that mid-majors can still succeed. You know, uh, you don't have to be the blue blood, you don't have to be in the the power five conferences, uh, power five conference to be able to, uh, well, we didn't see March Madness, but potentially make attorney run, you know, schools like Dayton, um, you know, San Diego State, teams like that, um, you know, and, and also uh, location has always played a role for certain players depending on their personality.
2: Mm -hmm. I think also something that's huge about this is the PT like I think it's really hard for a guy to sit on the bench for a year no one really wants to do that so to get to come to a school where you're going to be competing for March Madness and you're also going to be the guy who's going to be the guy down the stretch I think that's a huge thing for someone as they don't want to sit on the bench for a year or two at Duke or Kentucky.
0: Well yeah um, I just think it's huge in that sense I mean you see that the fact that like a guy like I can think of uh Johnny Juzang and Khalil Whitney, who both uh, they're both yes. Kentucky, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. They are both five right. star recruits and they both Khalil Whitney ended mm-hmm. up going to the uh, NBA even though he got very little playing time at Kentucky and a lot of people think he'll be right. a second round draft picker on draft mm-hmm. because he just doesn't have like any resume at right. yeah. high school as of now. And then Johnny Juzang, who's a very talented guy. He was just but you know, Kentucky they have three or four or five stars a year and he ended up getting lost in the rotation so he'll be Mm -hmm. on UCLA so that might have been a deciding factor for a lot of guys who are making their decisions this year
1: Mm -hmm. and then um, this
0: this recruiting cycle I saw something that you posted that I think it was you could tell me if I'm wrong but it was like nine or ten guys were like the highest recruit in the program's history
1: yeah nine of the ESPN top 100 yes so do you, do you see any
0: reason for that besides what we said, or is there any, like, think, like why do you think that a guy like Zaire Williams is going to Stanford, Josh Christopher going to Arizona State?
1: Well, there's always uh, specifics. Um, you know, it isn't only because, you know, they can be the guy at the school um, – There's always that reason, you know, a five-star guy going to schools like that where they know they're going to be the main man, have the ball in their hands the majority of the time. But Dyer Wendt is one of those guys. He is extremely high-educated. He is one of those top-tier human beings overall, way more than a basketball player. Mm -hmm. Um, And and Stanford was – I've heard that it was his dream school growing up. (laughs) Um, And even if he's there for one year, he can come back. You know, hopefully he'll be in the league one day, and you know, finish up his school. You know, be able to get a diploma from Stanford, which is obviously a uh, a, a very a lot uh, after that. That, a great that, education. That's an awesome story, right? That's
2: awesome for him. right. And I also think it's great for college basketball to have more than just those four or five teams competing. If you get, to, I think this season was one of the best we've had in recent history because there were so many great teams. I think there was fifteen teams that we could have seen winning March Madness. I know Kansas was right. the top dog. But a lot of people behind them, so I think it's great for the game. And it also it
0: underscores the importance of being a coach and getting like some of these guys are obviously backyard guys. For example, you have like Greg Brown, who had a relationship Mm -hmm. with Shaka Smart, who he just committed to Texas a couple of days ago. And because of that, first of all, that relationship with Shaka Smart might have saved Shaka Smart's job (laughs) after a couple of (laughs) unsuccessful years at Texas. And when you have a guy who a guy who's from your area, you need to capitalize on that. He's a huge if there's a guy who's really a huge talent. If you're losing him to the outside, that's just a really it's a really big what a could have, like what could have been. Yeah. And I think that coaches, that's something that they that they almost fear so they're so involved. I mean, I know Jim Beheim gave Dior Johnson an offer in seventh grade. These guys yeah. get offers. If you're from the hometown and you think and you're in that uh, mindset of – and you're in that conversation of being like a five-star recruit potentially, you can really get some offers young and you can become that. Well, that was
2: was the Zion effect where Zion didn't stay home and Zion went to Duke and a lot of people criticized him for it, didn't love Mm -hmm. his move. So I guess he's the opposite of what we're talking about now, but he could have gone to Clemson or South Carolina. So people in that state probably don't love him so much.
0: even with all the exciting dunks and, uh,
1: uh, he did defending Zion though. He did stay home and play for a two A high school all four years when he could have gone to Montbird IMG, you name it. So he did give him a good four year run. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, He gave him a show for sure.
0: I mean, that's another thing. Like it's not even anymore. Just college basketball players, transferring or college basketball players, college basketball players committing. Now it's, High school players were transferring high schools. There's yeah. just a lot of movement everywhere. Still
1: newsworthy. High school trans- yeah. transfers are newsworthy now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I don't
2: like. That I really think is bad for the game. I love what Zion did and when he stayed home because I think you want to play with the people you grew up with, and if you're good enough, you'll get the interest that you deserve. So I really would hope that more people continue to do what Zion did and not go to IMJ or Mom Verde.
0: But I mean, if that, that being called newsworthy, can we can we can we call that the tips in effect?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. That would be cool though. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, on this show, that is officially called the tip in effect.
1: Uh, Joe <laughs> Tipton,
0: thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for coming. Great time. Um, we'll be back talking some NFL draft and free agency news. All right, great seeing you, Joe. To Thank you for
1: having me. Appreciate you guys. All right. Thank
0: you. So, uh, great interview with Joe Tipton. Now we're on to our NFL coverage. And before the NFL draft produced all the headlines, just a couple days before the NFL draft on Tuesday, it was announced that Rob Gronkowski is a Buccaneer. And
2: wow. I mean, Wow. Dude. Oh. what? wow. Gronk is back. Yeah. So it was very funny, I thought, when I first heard the news, I was waiting for him to announce that he was coming back and playing because when the trade went through, he was kind of saying, I want to play football, but he never said, I'm going to be on the Buccaneers, and then he did say that. So I was relieved that we're getting Gronk back, and I think it's awesome. Awesome for the NFL, awesome for Tampa Bay. I'm really excited for Tampa Bay. I think they're up to something special now. had a great draft, had a lot of weapons for Tom. I think it's really awesome for the NFL and awesome for him to be back. He's going to be having fun in Tampa Bay. No more Belichick covering him up. It's going to be full Gronk now, and I'm excited to see it.
0: I mean, if you look at it from this perspective, I mean, Gronk is such a fun guy. And I think one place where the NFL misses is that they don't, I don't think they tend to uh, capitalize on the uh, characters that they have. You know, you have these guys with such great, funny personalities and. You know, they're, they're a good way to market your league. And I yeah. think if people people see Tom Brady and Gronk are in Tampa Bay, that's that's an immediate, like, I'm turning on the channel, I'm watching the Monday Night Football game, because I want to see yeah, Gronk and Tom Brady run it back, back together there, yeah. without Belichick, see what's happening there. It just creates such an interesting storyline. And that, compounded with the fact that we haven't had sports in a while, will definitely make the Buccaneers a team that people want to watch. And that's the effect of it. Without even taking into account the actual football
2: fact, I think it's really interesting what you said, and that's a very good point about how the NFL doesn't really capitalize on their personalities. I think that's so true. I think the NBA does such a good job of, mm-hmm. we feel like we really know a lot of those guys. We know the Russell Westbrooks, we know the LeBron James, we feel like we know the Steph Curry's, but yeah. we don't really know so much of the NFL guys. I think Gronk's one of the best personalities in sports, so I think that's undeniable. So I think this is great. Hopefully we get to learn a lot about Gronk and I'd love to learn more about Tom Brady as they're finally rid of Belichick. I do feel for Julian Edelman. Julian yeah, well, sure Edelman's like the uh the last man
0: standing.
2: Yeah. huh. I but, next year we might get on a Tampa Bay New England game. I'm sure that'll be a prime time game, which is that very exciting. Be. <laughs> I mean that that'll be super exciting. It might be a blowout though. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't think we should discount New England, but Tampa Bay is going to be fun. So, um,
0: but without obviously, we're both excited for this because it's just it's just going to be fun. <laughs> but um, there are other that we do have to consider that Gronk is coming out of retirement. He took last season off in 2018. He was uh, he wasn't the best. He wasn't his best self. He he, he, was, he was. He was probably games. his worst self. He was. He had forty. He had forty-seven catches. Uh, a little, a tad under six, uh, seven hundred yards. He was. He didn't look great. I mean, he was like. Even though he only missed three games, you would say he played a bunch of games. Definitely yeah. a little bit hobbled. And um, last August, twenty nineteen. So this is post retirement. He was talking about how he um he suffered a painful quad injury. You know, those are really worrisome injuries yeah. because they kind of. There, especially for a guy like Gronk, who's churning those legs, getting those extra yards, carrying linebackers on his back,
2: mm-hmm. which is what we're talking to
0: with Gronk. Um, that was in the Super Bowl that he had that quad injury. Yeah. It, it resulted in internal bleeding, and uh, he had to have procedures to remove the blood yeah. from his leg, so not to yeah. get too uh, gross on the podcast. But he definitely yeah. had, some, uh, had some bumps and bruises from his yeah. playing days. And he had – on, they say he's estimated that he's had almost 20 concussions. Yeah. You, know, you can't really tell when he says that if he's being sarcastic because he's just such a funny guy or he's serious, but he's certainly had a couple of concussions yeah. documented. Yeah. And he's just had knee, ankle, back, arm, chest. He's He's been on the injury report for a lot of different reasons. But well, the health has to be a concern after. Well, Obviously, he didn't play last year.
2: Well, personally, I think that, as happy as I am to have Gronk back, I don't think this is going to be a second career for him. I think he's going to give us maybe a couple or a few years. I don't think we see 10 more years or even five more years out of Gronk. Mm-hmm. And I think – I know the injuries are a massive concern, but I think the year, almost two years off, 16 months off for him, will be awesome because he really got to heal up and
1: mm-hmm. be
2: peaceful, and now he's going to be ready to go re- rejuvenated. He's naturally gifted. I don't think the hiatus will hinder his game so much. I think we're going to see a healthy Gronk again. I expect to see one of the best seasons of his career in that system.
0: And, you know, you just hope that he doesn't get stuck in the middle of a game, you know, thinking, uh, forgetting that he's in the NFL and thinking he's back to his WWE days. WWE days, yeah. Hopefully he doesn't help pull any body slams on some linebackers. Yeah. But um, like we said, he did in September again. He said he lost 15 pounds. He was down from his average weight during a season. I think that won't be a problem to gain yeah. back. Especially during quarantine, he could definitely uh, pound some pound some food. Pound back, on the pasta, yeah. Get power up on some pasta, workout, lift. I think he'll be fine in that sense. And um, he isn't that far back from being an elite player. I mean, 2017, he was a thousand yard receiver, eight touchdowns. He was the same problem that every that everybody yeah. remembered. Teams couldn't game plan for him. Yeah. And even if he's not elite, is it that big of a deal? Because this offense, this is just another guy. It's they got not like they're
2: asking him to be their primary pass catcher. Uh-huh. What are we gonna? What do we think that? How is this gonna affect OJ Howard? What do we think? Because he was a guy who we talked about either last week or a couple weeks ago having a lot of promise. We were really excited to see what he was gonna do with Brady. So how do we think that affects him now that Brady's got his old running mate back? OJ Howard's
0: a goner. That's the that's the best way to say it, man. I mean, if you look at this, if if it was just Gronkowski and OJ Howard on the depth chart. I think maybe O.J. Howard stays and he's still being groomed as, like, a replacement with some tutelage from Gronk. But they also have Cameron Braid, who's a very yeah. competent backup slash t- starter, like, kind of like borderline starter. Yeah. So you have three, you have Gronk, and then you have two other borderline starters. Yeah. It really doesn't make sense, especially if you get, like, a mid-round pick for O.J. Howard. I think it makes a lot of sense if you're uh, if you're Tampa Bay to get rid of O.J. Howard.
2: I think it makes more sense to get rid of Braid. I think because O.J. Howard has a lot of upside. When he reaches his potential, and I really hope he does, he could be one of the best tight ends in the league. I don't know if he'll ever get to Bronx level, but I think he could. And I know that it's obviously a different team. But back before Aaron Hernandez got into the trouble, he got in, and we won't get into that but the, yeah. Brady loved having two tight ends. That was one of the most dominant forces in the league, so who knows, we can't get back to that. And they also had some weapons at wide receiver when they were doing that two tight end set. So maybe we'll see that back. I'd love to see that.
0: Well, I think the reason that it'll be Howard over Brady that's dealt, in my opinion, is because you look at, you look at it from uh, O.J. Howard's perspective. I don't think he's a happy camper in this sense. I mean, I think he wanted an opportunity to be Brady's number one. So you, you see that happen. And obviously, I think you're right that this probably isn't a second career for Gronk. But O.J. Howard's in – this is going to be, I think, the last year of his rookie deal. Yeah. If there was a time for him to have a breakout, it's now. So I think his camp could potentially push for a trade. And also, when you're when you're buying on O.J. Howard, you're buying on upside. So if a team is taking on O.J. Howard and they're giving a mid-round pick, it's because they see the physical tools. They've seen him flash excellence. They know he can – he has the ability to possibly be a very good tight end in this league. Cameron Bray, I don't think you get a mid-round pick for. I think you get a sixth or seventh-round pick for because he's the type of guy, he's he's on the older side. He's more of a veteran. You know what you're going to get. So I think that while it might, make, it might be tantalizing for Tampa Bay to have a guy like O.J. Howard and Gronk run together, I don't think it's practical at this point, especially one, with the other weapons.
2: That the But one had. thing I thought, and we're going to talk about the other weapons, and one reason why I didn't love Brady to Tampa as much as a lot of people did, and I love it more now with the addition to Gronk, is Mike Evans isn't really a 42-year-old Tom Brady's top target. Mike Evans wants to get down the field. He wants to push the ball. And I don't know if Brady has the arm strength to get him how he wants to get it. And I think O.J. Howard and Gronk and Cameron Brady are all more of Brady's type of guy a guy who can run those six-yard routes, and I think Brady's going you know, to like that, so they should keep around all the guys they could. And also, I don't know if O.J. Howard's so upset right now. Obviously, he wants to be the guy, we can't forget how special it is to play with Tom Brady. We saw what Percy Harvin, the retired receiver, said about playing with Tom Brady. Almost everybody, true- everybody wants to join the party. Yeah, everybody wants to play with Tom. I even heard today now. I don't know, another rumor said that in, that Bruce Arians might be opening up to Antonio Brown. I don't know if that's true, but we'll Could you you imagine? never know. Could you that imagine? Would, that would be something special, just weapons on weapons on weapons. But who knows? I mean, again, I think that you're right.
0: That, But if any of those weapons are signed in a possibility, I think then it's definitely O.J. Allen's yeah. time to go. Yeah. But I just feel like from a perspective of a team like – I heard Washington was trying to trade for him. That's the report that was coming out. And that was pre-Gronk being signed. So I think a team like Washington, where you're probably not going to be winning this year, you have a year where you have a lot of young players. One, it could help your young quarterback to get a somewhat reliable tight end. And that could be such a mutually beneficial uh, arrangement for both of them. And I think that if they offer enough for the Buccaneers, I feel like you're going to think, do we really need to keep him around when we yeah. have a solid offer and he's not going to be our one of our top targets? Yeah. I don't and know. And it would be
2: good ends. to get him now before next year when his contract ends because Washington could trade for him and you could extend him very cheaply. And wow. if he has a breakout year this year, then you have him hopefully for four or five more years. So that's got to be desirable to a team like Washington or a low-end team who's not really competing this year for a Super Bowl. Well,
0: while uh, we're talking about low-end teams, low-end teams and high-end teams alike, Try to uh, change their fates or, in some cases, continue their dominance with the uh, recent NFL draft. And, man, that first round was a doozy. Let's let's go into it. Jake, um, I know that you were a big fan of the pick that
2: uh, the Broncos made at number 15 overall. Yeah. Yeah, that was probably my favorite pick of the first round. I really was a fan of what almost every team did. I obviously had a couple picks I didn't like, but I was really happy if I'm a fan of most teams. But my favorite was Jerry Judy. I think we talked about it. I think he's the best receiver in the class far and away. And also, I think it's very interesting because there were reports earlier in the week that the Broncos would trade up to eight or ten, maybe give up a first-rounder next year to get him. And the guy fell into their lap at 15, which is incredible. They're trying to surround Drew Locke with some weapons. I really like him. I think he's a young star in Denver. And they got to be able to compete with Kansas City. And I think Jerry Judy, and then they selected K.J. Hamler later in the draft. They got some guys who could run with that offense in Kansas City and keep up, so it'll be interesting to see come next year, but I think a lot of good things are coming.
0: I mean, I'll try and be combative as possible with you, Jake. You know I enjoy it, but I can't really find anything to not like about this pick. I mean, Judy has some places where he needs to improve, maybe a little hand-eye concentration. He had a couple of drops in his career, but... Mm-hmm. I really don't read into that yeah. too much. He's st- He's got solid speed, even though he's not the speedster like Henry Ruggs. Yeah. And that Cortland Sutton-Jerry-Judy
2: duo. I think and K.J. Hamler. Don't forget about and KJ, K.J. Hamler. who he has was a, one of my favorites.
0: Of, of upside. I mean, yeah. Drew Locke has to be kind of foaming at the mouth yeah. ready for the season to get started because oh, he oh, has yeah. weapons. And he had a really good end to the last year. And I
2: think – This year we got to see the GMs and the coaches as they made their pick. And if you saw John Elway in the setup he had, he looked pretty excited that Jerry Judy fell into his lap. He couldn't even contain his smile. Yeah, he was very excited. And it's
0: it's just – you look at Denver and they scream a team that could surprise us all, especially with their solid draft. You still Mm -hmm. have some veterans. I liked them a lot.
2: Yeah, I like Denver a lot, too. I think Denver's been a few close heartbreakers away from the playoffs. I know they had that heartbreaker week three, week two or three against Chicago this year mm-hmm. where they lost 16-14. So they've been very close to mm-hmm. being a playoff team. They still have those great guys on defense, a few of them from that Super Bowl win. I know Von Miller's still there, still dominant. So hopefully they could get a wild card. I don't know if they're better than Kansas City, but now with three wild card spots, don't be surprised if we see them sneak in there.
0: Yeah, very, very interesting to see what they can do. But um, let me tell you about a guy that I think will have a huge impact throughout the next couple of years. I, I talked about Carolina a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about uh, them signing Terry, Teddy Bridgewater – and I might just have an affinity towards Matt Rule's moves because <laughs> I really like Derek Brown going seven. And this is a little bit of an unpopular opinion. So uh Jake, I, well, I remember in our little in our pre- in our pre- uh, pre-show texts, I know that yeah. you thought they
2: should have drafted Simmons. Yeah. So what do you think? Well, don't get me wrong. Whenever I watch Derek Brown, I really watch him in the Iron Bowl a lot. I think he's phenomenal. I think he's one of the best players in the draft, and I think he's gonna make an impact there. I think he's really gonna help them out. But Caroline's a team that has a lot of holes, right? They no, have a no doubt. They have a lot of issues on their defense and on their offense, especially with Keeley being gone to retirement. So I know Isaiah Simmons said most NFL teams get 53 players. If you get me, you get 56. And I think Caroline is a team that needed those 56 players if they want to compete in one of the best divisions in football. So they really need Isaiah Simmons. I think he was the more Rational pick, if it was a team like Kansas City or San Francisco who has all the pieces and was just looking for that guy in the middle, Derek Brown's great. He's going to have a great NFL career. I'm almost certain of it. But I just don't know if Caroline at seven was worth picking him over the Swiss Army knife that Isaiah Simmons is. Well, for me, it
0: comes down to this. I know that Isaiah Simmons is a Swiss Army knife, and I definitely think he'll be a great player in the NFL. He's got a lot of the tools. I like him a lot. But from Carolina's perspective, you have to look at it like this. First of all, they had a rough free agency in terms of the D-line. They lost uh, Don Terry Poe, who ended up kind of being a mistake for them signing in the first place. They lost Gerald McCoy, who really led their defense last year. He was productive. Uh-huh. So from that perspective, you need to fill up the holes. You, need, you know, we talk about the, uh, the, the trenches so much uh, throughout our discussions about how important it is to control the line of scrimmage. And if Carolina went with Isaiah Simmons, he might have been making plays all over the field, but he was making a lot of tackles on eight-yard runs because I really don't think that this uh, defensive line without, like, a top-tier talent like Derrick Brown could control anything. Quarterbacks would have too much time. Running backs would have too many holes. It would be ugly. And I think that we undervalue a guy like Derrick Brown because defensive line isn't exactly a sexy position, if you will. Yeah, especially in the
2: middle there, not on the edge
0: but he's he's a unique guy. He almost he, he wasn't putting up crazy sack numbers, but if he really develops, i could see him being near like a guy a guy like Aaron Donald, probably not as good because Aaron Donald's one of the best defensive linemen in cool. the history of the league, but mm-hmm. I think that he will have the the rare ability, maybe call him more of a Chris Jones, where yeah. he can get he can be on the D-line but he can really get in and get get pressure on the
2: quarterback. Well, I think though it's very and I was a uh, I did this last year when the Jets picked and Williams and said, oh, this guy's Aaron Donald, this guy could be Aaron Donald, but I think that's a really high standard to set to someone, mm-hmm. and if yeah. you're in the middle and you're not Aaron Donald, or you're not even a Chris Jones, how much of an impact are you really going to have in the pass rush? It's really hard, and if you're getting a guy who's only going to be one-dimensional, how much of a factor can you have, impact can you have on your team, especially in a passing league that we're in now?
0: No, yeah, I definitely agree that it's going to be hard for that sometimes it's hard for those guys to make an impact, but you say it's a passing league. It is, but teams—you saw the 49ers were on their way to the Super Bowl this year. That is true. There, we're in a, we're in kind of like a reverse, a reverse evolution where teams are all trying to pass, but then they realize you can stack up your offensive line and get some solid runner, running backs in there, and there you go. That's that's big time. So I think to combat that, I mean, in, in that division, you have guys like. Um, Alvin Kamara is going to run it down. He's a great running back. Todd Gurley just signed with the Falcons.
2: Yeah, you know, But you also have guys like Brady and Breeze and Ryan, yeah, though. Definitely.
0: but I- Isaiah- I said- And
2: Isaiah Simmons is an excellent cover guy who they could have got there, and he would have been able to help slow down Brady, especially with Brady wants to do all those slants and all those guys on the inside. Uh-huh. Isaiah Simmons could have guarded Gronk really well.
0: But I think, so Derek- I, I think Derek Brown, on the other hand, will be the guy who can push – Push the centers back, make the pocket a little cluttered. He might not have that many sacks, but he will be involved a lot in pressure yeah. the quarterback because he's a monster, man. Mm-hmm. And also, I'd be remiss not to mention that this guy is a, ge- a genius. He is a leader. He's a born leader. He was yes. uh, he was he gained enough respect from others in the SEC that he was named the conference's student athlete Le- named to the conference conferences student athlete leadership council. It's uh-huh. 2017, and that's yeah. that's like might be so like more of a snapple can yeah. fact for some people, but for yeah.
2: me, that that's important because I like a guy who's really a good leader. A, leader. He does yeah. a lot for his team, and he, and he came back to Auburn, which I thought was awesome. He would have been a probably a top 10 pick, top 15 pick last year, but he came back, and I think he came back to beat Alabama, and they got the job done. He had a huge game, so I think that shouldn't be taken off the table I think he's definitely a good guy a good leader so that's very interesting too but I just I like Isaiah Simmons there yeah uh, you're, definitely, you're not going to convince me
0: all right if I'm not going to convince you we can move on to a, a questionable pick in my opinion and that was Damon Arnett at 19 for the Raiders what are we thinking there what was the thought process of John Gruden and Mike Mayock
2: I don't know. I mean, I can't really <laughs> say much Say much about it. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I know Sard, there's a lot going on at the Gruden household. So, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't thinking right. But I don't know. Maybe you could give me some insight. I know you don't like it either, but I, I hated it. I, I don't know.
0: I mean, if you love a player, I think if you think that – I mean, every team, I think, thinks that they have the best. They have the best player development. They have the best – they have the best leadership, especially when you have a team with John Gruden, who's uh, been around. He's a Super Bowl winning coach, and Mike Mayock, who's been the uh, head analyst for so long. And he's getting in. And he, I think they both think they know what they're doing, and I think in some cases that's true. And if and if they valued this guy highly, then I don't have a problem with taking him. But yeah. you could have had this guy in the middle middle of the second round, and you draft maybe even later first. Yeah, I mean one one thing that I saw had him the thirty fifth ranked prospect. Yeah, one had him the 49th. That's those are that's early second round to late second round. Yeah, so he's gonna fall in the second round in almost every situation. He was the second he was the second cornerback on his team at Ohio State. Yeah, probably yeah. like he was taking on the best receivers. Yeah, yeah. twenty four. He's already he's a little bit older than a pro, than most. And prospects a, yeah, I think anybody. that definitely
2: can't be remiss because after his first contract is over, he's gonna be twenty eight. So then, do you and then corners can't really play that old at a high level, so that's interesting, too.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: It's and it's
0: just like that everything that this, um, that led up to this pick and everything that that transpired after it, it kind of just makes me think that they really just overvalued a guy.
2: And also, I think what I think what happened is CJ Henderson, I think I love him from Florida, he went number nine. And that was a little higher than expected. He really kind of rose up draft boards throughout the whole process. So I think maybe Oakland or Las Vegas, my, my mistake. Yeah, Las Vegas. I mean, I'd say Las Vegas. Vegas. it is the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, takes, the Las Vegas getting Raiders. used to. We're taking, thinking about taking Henderson at 12 because they wanted a cornerback. They wanted to fill the need that they felt they had. And then once he went, they kind of panicked and made a panic pick, which you can't make at a level like can't
0: this. You can't make the panic pick. That's a great analogy. A great, a great uh, thought process, but um, I think he definitely has a chance to be a good player. I mean, he has a yeah, good. Yeah, you play. never know. He's a leader. He'll work hard. He's he's a gym rat. But also, one of what this did, this was the the completion of the. Uh, this was the last pick they got from the Khalil Mack trade. Yeah. So it's unfortunate for uh, the uh, Gruden for Gruden himself because that was obviously his first yeah. year, his first yeah. move. And it's trading away Khalil Mack, and then you come yeah. back and you look at the last, one of the most important parts of the yeah. compensation is that first round pick, and he used it on a guy that many people thought he could yeah. have gotten it on a second. So it's
2: yeah, that's really the only thing that I really don't like about the pick. I just think he could have got this guy later. He could have made another move, or he could have traded back even later and got another pick to get him. That's why I'm like, I think he's a good football player. I think that Ohio state secondary was the lead. I know he had great guys with him, but he definitely contributed to that. So I think that's the issue I have not so much with the pick, but where they picked him.
0: And another interesting storyline from the first round was, uh, there was obviously a big question in terms of who's the, uh, big who there are a lot of talented offensive tackles. Yeah. And, yeah. um, Andrew Thomas ended up being the top dog being picked up top dog. He is a George, yeah, Bulldog, George. Bulldog. but, um, uh, he was picked first. He was picked first out of the four like top tier guys. He went yeah. to the Giants at four. And Jake, you're not really a big fan of that, are you?
2: So similar to actually um, Arnett from Ohio State. I like Andrew Thomas. I liked him a lot. I actually wanted my Jets to get him at 11, but I just, and I like him, but I just think four was too high. I think they could have traded back and got him or another offensive tackle later in maybe in the early teens or later back there. And I just think they could have traded up to a team who really wanted Isaiah Simmons and got a couple picks out of it. But now I guess you've got the guy you want, but I just don't know how I feel.
0: I mean, like we were saying the last and when we're talking about Arnett, it's important to get the guy you like. If you believe in a guy, you should take him. But in this situation, I think the giants are a team that have tons of holes to fill. And if you move back, you probably would have gotten yourself more second round picks or more third round picks. And that's big.
2: Draft capital is such a yeah. such an especially important in match. this draft with so many great guys. Yeah, it's a very
0: deep draft where you can get starters in a lot of different rounds. And I think yeah. it would have been uh, a good idea for the Giants to maybe look into that possibility. But instead, they went with with Thomas. But the yeah. more I read on Thomas, you know, the first night, the the night of the draft on Thursday, I was convinced that it was a bad pick. But then, you know, I did a little more research. And I think it might not have been as bad. And I think Thomas has the most upside, in my opinion, out of all four of those guys. Well, he
2: absolutely has a lot of potential. And there was a lot of boards. I know earlier he kind of fell down draft boards as the process went on. But coming in, he was the number one prospect mm-hmm. out of all those tackles but i think jedrick wheelhouse from alabama kind of rose up and was almost a unanimous number one i guess maybe even on 31 out of 32 teams draft boards, he might have been number one mm-hmm. except the giants i guess so i find that very interesting and
0: you know pro football focus who obviously they take a, a very different approach to our players and and analytics yeah the analytical <laughs> approach and the analytics love andrew thomas he he was even as a freshman he was one of the top tackles in 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 college in the NCAA ranks and he was a great he was always a great pass blocker he's improved as the uh as a run blocker and you know I think gentleman has he said he's really excited he really wanted to make this pick and get this guy and not risk it cuz he wanted to complete the offensive line yeah. and you know they drafted another guy from Yukon in the third round who has a lot of upside mm-hmm. who's an offensive lineman and then you Add that they got Will Hernandez in the first round last year, yeah. or not in the first? Was he a first round pick?
2: I don't believe so. I, th- I he think was he was team. maybe two years ago.
0: Yeah, he was one of yeah. he was a high pick for them, first or yeah. second. And then you had Kevin Zeitler in the Olivier yeah. Vernon trade, and yeah. then Kevin Gates coming back as well. So they really feel like they have that offensive line yeah. piece together. And I mean, when your top two players are. Your quarterback and your running back, yeah. those are kind of your yeah. two cornerstones for your franchise, franchise right now. The reason that your fans can yeah. have yeah. a little bit of optimism, I think it's really important to protect yeah. those two.
2: Well, I agree with the pick-a-picking alignment. I just think they could have got this guy later. But I think one thing we learned about Dave Gellman last year when he picked Daniel Jones at six, he will reach for his guy if he thinks that's the guy. He wants what he wants. He wants things his way. And I guess this is another example of it. And Daniel Jones worked out, I could say pretty well for him.
0: So yeah, hopefully it's, this
2: is the same for the Big glue Nation. Yeah, it's a it's
0: a huge pick for Gentlemen. If it ends up that this guy's the worst out of the four tackles, it's a disaster. But if he ends up yeah. being the best and he shores up that line that's been such a problem for the Giants over the years, it's um, it's it's huge. Yeah. So now yeah. on to some more uh, interesting things about the draft. Obviously, we're going over the first round today, and. Uh, the biggest, one of the most interesting storylines to me, or was uh, Henry Ruggs going to the Raiders at number twelve, being the first wideout taken off the board.
2: Yeah, An- another pick from the Las Vegas Raiders that Las I really. Vegas. Did I say
0: Oakland again?
2: No, 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 no. Yeah. I did not. That I that I really didn't understand too much. I thought that. Judy and Lamite were better on my rankings. I had him third. I think he has a lot of upside. I think they saw that Tyree Kill. I think they saw that big play that they want to be able to compete with Kansas City like Denver mm-hmm. tried to do. They're but a little just, they're very, they're kind of jealous of uh Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill they, a little bit. Yeah. And they want to get someone who could do stuff like that. But I, I just don't know. I think a guy like whoever's gonna be their quarterback, either Derek Carr or Mariota would have benefited more from a nice, good route-running, sturdy-hands guy like Jerry Judy or Mm -hmm. even a C.D. Lamb. Because as good as Henry Ruggs is going to be, I don't know if he can ever reach the potential of being a top-five wide receiver in the NFL. I think he's always going to be like a little bit of a knockoff Tyree Kill. I don't know if he'll get to that level. Very few do. But I think Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb have the potential to be the best receiver in the NFL.
0: Well, ever since the days of Al Davis in the beginning in the AFL in the 60s, 70s, you know, they've – the Raiders have always had an affinity for speed, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cliff Branch in the 80s, he was like the the one guy, an example of that, who was just a speedster who lit it up for them. But then you have an example, uh, their affinity for speed has also kind of led them in a bad direction in in the sense that uh, they drafted Darius Hayward Bay in the top ten, and he's one of the – worst wide receiver yeah. costs and you look yeah. at Henry rugs he's got a four two seven speed and yeah. that's just it's baffling yeah. how fast yeah. he is he's crazy fast he's a crazy playmaker and for john gruden that's just that's a toy you know yeah. he he's so excited to deploy him in, in
2: hundreds of different yeah. ways different schemes yeah and i'm excited to see that well i think though I don't remember the exact number, but I believe it was 25% of the time Henry Ruggs touched the ball, he was scoring a touchdown, which is a crazy stat. 24 and a half.
0: So, yeah. 24 and a half. It's a crazy stat.
2: That's a crazy stat. And I think that just shows that he was a college football player, right? Because no one in the NFL is getting in the end zone 25% of the time Mm -hmm. they touch the ball. So, we'll see how his game translates over once he's not running past everyone because there's – obviously there's not too many guys at four two seven speed, but there's a lot of guys who can run with him at the next level. So we'll see how he can do then when he's not the fastest guy.
0: See, I i mean I do see issues with it. I mean I think it's a problem that Ruggs might be the best wide receiver on the roster when he walks into training camp. I think that's an issue for me because they really don't have
2: much at wideout. I mean Tyrell Williams is solid. Hunter Redford He's very is solid. Good. Before he got banged up last year, he was getting in the end zone a lot. He was playing well. But it, I don't think – they
0: don't have a bonafide fide number one, so I yeah. think they're looking at him for that. <laughs> Obviously, Darren Waller. I think Darren Waller gets helped out a lot by this because Darren Waller gets covered a lot by yeah. safeties and linebackers, and safeties and linebackers have to be yeah. even more heads up towards yeah. because of the slants, because uh-huh. of a speed guy like that. That's kind of the effect yeah. he has. So in that sense I like the pick and also I think that you're in this situation you're in the division with the and you see what the Chiefs do they they run out crazy sets yeah. they they use their they use their speed so well and it's not crazy for them to want to emulate that and just to get is uh that Derek Carr had very an up and down year last year he was yeah. he had he had uh, 4000 yards he um had a sp- 70% completion percentage. So on those ends he was good, but he averaged a league low six point two air yards per attempt. That's per ESPN. Yeah. And um, so that basically means he was throwing the ball an average of six yards a play. So mm. that's a lot shorter than most quarterbacks. He wasn't yeah. really taking shots. So I think what they saw here is where you could have a guy like Judy or C.D. Lamb who are going to be more open down the field. I don't know if they think that plays into Carr's skill set. I think they more think that when you can get a guy who Derek Carr can set up in the intermediate route and yeah. can kind of give him lead him to get a to get a big chunk of yards. I think they're kind of tantalized with the pairing of those two. I think they think
2: here's, the best Here's why. I don't here's the main reason what boils down for me why I don't love the pick as opposed to the other guys. Because I just think that if you, they're trying to kind of emulate Kansas City and what a lot of teams tried to emulate New England for so long. But if you're just going to be a worse version of them and be like kind of like a knockoff, you're never going to be able to beat them. Because mm-hmm. if you're not as good as them, it's going to be tough to beat them at their own game. So I don't know, maybe if you come at them different with a stronger approach or do something that they don't play to their weaknesses, then you have more of a chance.
0: No, yeah. But uh, just to read a quote from Mike Mack that I thought was interesting based on that Kansas City comment. Um, he said, when you're in the division we're in and you look at Kansas City and you look at what they have on offense and what their explosion looks like, we needed to get bastard and we think that this addition opens up our entire offense. Well, he's
2: definitely going to do that for them. As you say, he's definitely going to help out Darren Waller. You oh, you have to have three guys on your defense looking at him at all times. So he's got that speed. So I think he helps in that aspect.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I just don't know. And I think while we're on the topic of wide receivers, I thought it was crazy. I think eight receivers went in the first 34 picks. So we kind of thought this was going to be a deep receiver class going into the second or third round. But everyone really saw that there was a lot of really talented guys yeah. that they wanted to jump on.
0: It's, it's going to be, I think, next season seeing those young receivers uh, blossom will be so interesting. Because a lot of these guys, even the lower guys – will be coming into situations where they're the second, first, third receiver. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a really crazy and interesting situation.
2: I've got a hot take for you right now. I think Michael Pittman, the number one receiver in this class. He's going to be one of the primary targets in Indianapolis with the Colts. He's going to have Phillip Rivers. He could do a lot. He could get down the field. He's a big guy, got a big frame, great hands. I expect a lot from him. So beware of him come the fall.
0: Maybe a little bit like his uh, former – uh, the another alumni of his school, Juju Smith-Schuster, yeah. second round pick, who ends up being one yeah. of the better players from the class. Mm-hmm. But um, so we talked wide receivers in Henry Ruggs. Now we're going to talk the quarterback position. And I mean, Tua went. Joe Burrow went first. Everybody went knew that yeah. Tua went before Herbert, which a lot of people debated. Yeah. But perhaps mm-hmm. the most shocking thing to happen in the first mm-hmm. round of this year's draft was uh, the Packers drafting Jordan Love and. Do we love it, Jake?
2: I hate it. I hate it for Jordan Love. I hate it for Aaron Rodgers, and I hate it for the Packers. I just This move is not going to make sense for me. I, I really don't understand it. I think that this organization has done Aaron Rodgers wrong time and time again, not selecting a receiver, letting 27 wide receivers go ahead of them. I just don't understand. You're in a win now situation. We talked about this last week. They were one game away from the Super Bowl and you don't pick a weapon in the first round you pick a backup quarterback and Aaron Rodgers isn't is going to be the quarterback there I think until he stops playing at a high level and I think that's probably 4 or 5 years away so I don't even know if Jordan Love will ever get to play a real game in a Packer uniform if he stays healthy and I got something crazy for you if you're ready if all of our viewers are ready Should try uh get into my uh, get into my protective my my protective uh-huh. gear yeah, I think you should. And don't, don't be surprised if this happens in the future. I think Aaron Rodgers should get out of there. Get, and I think a great spot for him is Dallas. I know that they're having all the controversy with their quarterback, and I know Aaron Rodgers is better than Dak Prescott. Get him, Aaron Rodgers should get out of there. Get to an organization that will treat him right. All those weapons they have in Dallas. It's just something I thought about.
0: I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting theory. I mean, he, Aaron Rodgers loves Green Bay. He's talked about multiple times. Recently with Tom Brady, he talked about how he hopes he can end his career in Green Bay. You don't know if this pick changes his uh, mindset at all because both of us agree that this was kind of just a a diss towards him almost by drafting his replacement in the first round and then not even getting – they didn't really beef up anything. I mean, their next pick I think was Cam Akers when they already had two other running backs. Yeah, It's just the drafting strategy
2: from the Packers brass did not make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. There was and, a very funny picture of Matt Lafleur's son kind of going like this. Had his it wasn't me. It, it wasn't me. I everyone to know that it wasn't him. It was yeah. This there.
0: this 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 strategy was not from the uh yeah. from Matt LaFleur, Lafleur's kid. Yeah. And um, you know, this Packers offense when you have Aaron Rodgers, he's such a good quarterback. It's it's undebatable to me. Twenty six touchdowns, four picks last mm-hmm. year. He can throw the deep ball. He can do whatever. And um. That offense was middle of the pack for most important stats, yards per game, pass yards per game, points per game. They were all in like that 15 to 18 range. And when you have one of the best quarterbacks in the league, you know that the issue there is that you don't have weapons. And then to go into the draft and not – especially in this year where you could have picked – first of all, you could have stayed back.
2: You could have picked a guy lower. You could have went backwards – and picked one of those second receivers. Yeah, you know, you could have grabbed – there was a lot of good receivers in the second round, K.J. Hamler, Denzel Mims, Pittman, T. Higgins, which would have been a great complement for Devontae Adams and another weapon for Rodgers.
0: And that was just you put more and more pressure on those secondary weapons. Now Lazard or Valdez Scantling or Allison or Jake Kumoro yeah. needs to step up. And, you know, it's just it just feels like a toxic situation because – Just based on what we've seen from Aaron Rodgers in the past, I don't think he's going to be the type of guy to uh, be the most willing mentor, and that's not really anything against him because I think he has a right to be frustrated at this situation. I mean, they, it's like they're trying to
2: recreate what they did with Brett yeah. Favre, but, well, but in, the actually, NFL, in the NFL, I don't think you can recreate things like that. Well, Also very interesting, and I heard this from Colin Coward. I can't take credit for this myself, and I really don't like what he has to say about 75% of the time, but occasionally he makes a really good point on the herd. I listen to him. I really like him sometimes. Sometimes he makes a good point. And he said that this is actually very different than Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Because Aaron Rodgers was kind of thought of as the number one player in the draft, thought that he could have gotten number one overall instead of the nine. Oh, yeah, he did have that player. huge slide. you yeah. right. And he fell into their lap. Like, you had to pick him, almost like Buffalo and Jake Fromm, where they kind of didn't need a quarterback, but they had to pick him. Green Bay actually traded up to get Jordan Love, a guy who probably was a second-round talent, and they kind of forced him onto their roster. So I think it's very different situations.
1: I just you know, think time
2: and time again, they haven't treated Aaron Rodgers right. I don't think, I don't think he needs to be there anymore.
0: I mean, if from Rodgers' perspective, though, there's not much you can do. You sign the big contract, you're yeah. there for at least four more years. And that's why right now the name of the game among NFL executives and among NFL teams is getting the most you can out of a player on their rookie deal. If Aaron Rodgers is your starter for the next four years, which I think everybody – You're like, not going to get anything out of Jordan they You're not going to get anything out of his rookie deal. Yeah. I think they're going to end up being forced into a situation like Jimmy G and uh, Brady where some, exactly. of the, some people want to move on from Rodgers. Some people want to move on from love. And either way, it's going to be a rough decision to make because exactly. you're either going to have to end up trading or letting go of a franchise icon – or you're going to have to get pennies on the dollars of a first-round
2: pick. For your young star, exactly. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's not like he's 42 years old. He's still in his mid-30s. I know he's getting up there, but he still has four years, which is the
0: rookie deal left There, He's been the same dude, really, in my opinion. If and anything, I think if you got him another better. weapon, you'd probably see an upgrade. hmm. just
1: does
2: it just, not make sense just,
0: to me. Just, just for a team that was in the, <laughs> the NFC Championship game, I'm, I'm, I like making moves for the future, and if it was another team, I might like this move. But I just think this is playing. This is playing conservative. You can't play conservative, and even playing conservative, you want to get a quarterback, there were other quarterbacks. I think Jacob you could have Eason. drafted Jacob Eason in the third round. He fell so far. Yeah, that's I just no developmental yeah. project that makes yeah.
2: sense. Yeah, I just, I just don't understand wasting a first round pick. You're trying to compete. You're trying to win a Super Bowl, and then you don't pick a guy who's going to help your team. Even if you're not picking a receiver, to pick a lineman or someone who could help you out on offense or defense, I just don't understand.
0: I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when Mason Rudolph was drafted. And that was in the second, late second round. Yeah. Big Ben was not too happy. He said, yeah. first, I don't know why you're drafting my replacement when we're still trying to win games. Yeah. Something along those lines. That's powerful, Yeah, obviously. So... For Ben to say that when it's a second-round pick, and at the time you still had very many weapons, at that point they still had Le'Veon Bell under contract, yeah. and they had Antonio Brown. Yeah. Now for a guy like Rodgers, who, first of all, unlike Ben, he hasn't threatened retirement multiple times. Yeah. For them to draft a quarterback in the first round and not beef up his weaponry
2: any other way, I, yeah. I, it's – And we're the two things that made this really crazy to me, uh, I thought I was shocked when it happened. But first off, <laughs> excuse me, they traded up to get him. So he didn't fall into their lap. They wanted Jordan Love. And also, they didn't pick a receiver in the second round, the third round. They picked a third string running back before they picked a wide receiver. I just don't know what, what they were it's, thinking. It, it's a bizarre strategy, and you know. It, I think- it was almost like a middle finger at Aaron Rodgers. Like, I don't understand.
0: Yeah, and I mean seeing Rodgers' reaction in the first, in the next couple of weeks, I bet Green Bay, uh, Wisconsin area journalists are trying to get that interview, trying to get that yeah. quote. Will be very interesting and in seeing how that that develops over the year. But
2: well, it was very funny if you saw he was actually on a live podcast for the draft, and once I believe either two or Herbert got picked, he said, "You don't really see first round quarterbacks like myself sit and wait three years anymore." And then a few hours later, they picked the quarterback. So we'll see what's going to happen with that. Who, who's anticipated to have to wait for yeah. three years or so. Three years, yeah.
0: So we'll definitely see how that turns out. But that's going to be it for us today. Thank you guys
2: so much for joining. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, more draft talk going to be
1: awesome. So tune in.